Welcome to Wednesday Night Live, the class that puts peak in your week and helps you get over the, the hump day of Wednesday and just see improvements all the time. I'm glad you come out. This is the class where we learn from each other. And that's really important. Because we learn as a group, we have a, a group set of knowledge, and when we learn together, we learn better. So we'll do a lot of talking, make comments, ask questions, any of the above, that would be great. But before we get started, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. I ask that you be with the class, that you can touch their minds and hearts, and together we can draw closer to you and closer to each other. Help us to be your people. I ask that you help me get out of the way so that people can see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty. This week we're going to be in Acts 11 and Acts 13. So if you want to be there, that's great. If, if you don't, just read along up here. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And news of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Okay, what happened to Stephen that everybody's out of town? I was laughing at Chuck. He was stoned to death. He was stoned to death. And they got feeling that the Jews had such a hold that they had to get out of town or they'd be next. So they go and everywhere they're going, they're telling their fellow Jews about Jesus. Who are they leaving out? Anybody? Sue? They, that up to this time, that's all that they had been teaching was just the... Jews, they, they haven't shared the good news with the Gentiles in, in general. In fact, that's all they're telling as they go. They're telling Jews, and then they turn and start talking to Gentiles. And the Gentiles start responding. So when Jerusalem hears about this, they send Barnabas to Antioch. So you all can see the map, I think it's pretty clear. Jerusalem's down here, Antioch's up here. It's a good travel, it's a good distance. When they arrived, they saw the 
grace of God. And he was glad and encouraged to remain true to the Lord with their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught, and great, and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Why do you think he's going all the way to Tarsus to get Paul? Chuck. Antioch, this Antioch, because there's a lot of Antiochs, is a megalopolis. It's huge. It's a big deal to have people converted in this particular city. He needs help. Oh. And the best person he thinks of to get help with, because he's already gone on one, at least one missionary journey with Paul, is Paul. And so he goes and gets Paul. Good. Why do you think he goes clear up there instead of just taking some people from Jerusalem? Sue? He had gone to bat for Paul when Paul came, showed up in Jerusalem. He knew that the story about Paul being converted in Damascus and how he had taught people in Damascus. He knew that the Lord had told him that he was to be a, a person for the Gentiles. And Paul, like Chuck was saying about this being a big town, Paul had experienced working with all kinds of people because he had lived in Tarsus. So he understood that culture in that area as well as being a very good Jew. So you know, he went to get Paul, he seemed like the man for the right job, for the job. Paul's got another qualification. When he was converted, God told him he was the apostle to the Gentiles, but he's also Jewish. And he knows all the Jewish background. So the two together makes him ideal to work with the mixture that Barnabas has been sent to mix with. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. Uh, this is big in a lot of ways. Anybody know how many times this is mentioned? Okay, a couple times it's brought up in scripture how the people were hurting because of it. We know that it's during the reign of Claudius. Claudius reigned from 41 the 47 AD, or if you want to put the common era in there, CE, that's good too. Uh, 
So he's reigned for six years. The Roman historian Josephus helps us by saying that it lasted for two years. Notice the years. 45 through 47. If you can put it together, see if I can do this. Look where Claudius' reign ends. And look where finally the famine ends. You think that might be a little late? Even though Claudius didn't cause it, he's blamed for it. And he is assassinated and they get a new emperor. Okay. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. They did this by sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. When Barnabas and Saul finished their mission, they returned to Jerusalem, taking with them John also called Mark. John Mark joins Barnabas and Saul when they returned to Antioch after the funds had been, had been delivered to Jerusalem. Their mission's over as far as that's concerned. At the church, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, McNeat, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Why'd they put their hands on them? Don't you all ask, answer at one time. It gets drowning up here when you do that. So, why? Anybody know where it was done first? Sue? Okay. Very good. There's another time it pops up an axe. Does that help? The Grecian widows are being ignored. And the apostles said, select some men, and they chose men. And once they were chose, they laid their hands on them. So yeah, it's, it's kind of there. Why do they do it? What does it mean? It's an appointment, and it's also... Uh, 
conferring a blessing. Um, in the many ways that we see that, it's either giving powers, uh, selecting a position, or uh, I can't remember uh, last example that was in my brain, but it's always here, we're, we're making this decision together. Very good. Excellent, Grant. Thank you. It's usually done when you're appointing somebody and you're saying, this is your job. And so when the elders do that, or when the apostles uh, do that, it was saying, this is your job. Now, who gets to put their hands on them? Grant. Typically the, the apostles or, it, or, you know, the leaders that are already in place. Yes. Very good. It's typically the apostles. Today, that same idea of saying, this is your job, it still needs to be done. Uh, does every Christian have a work or task that they were meant to do in the church? Why or why not? This, the scriptures are very clear that God has given every Christian uh, talents, gifts, and that each of us is expected to use them, but not everybody has the same gift or talent. Okay. Good. John? We're all different parts of the body of Christ. Very good. Thank you. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. And they were sent down to St. Lucia. And from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salumis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Okay, I, the map should help. This is where they start out. They make their first stop here, and now they go down here. And Paul and Barnabas are going to the synagogues to preach. It is going to become a pattern for these two to go to the synagogues and preach. And we'll get into that a little later. They're here for a while. And then Paphos is clear across the island, here. They go there next. And as they go, they're teaching and preaching to people. And they traveled through the whole island and to Paphos. And they met a Jewish saucer, a false prophet named Jesus, who was part of the proconsul, Sergius the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word. And Illumis, the sorcerer, for that which is what his name means, 
opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. And Paul called the Holy Spirit and rated and looked straight at Loomis and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You will never stop perverting the ways of the Lord. What do you think of Paul now? Chuck. <laughs> Thank you, Chuck. So, uh, for him, I think this was a big deal, uh, not because they, he was giving Paul a hard time, but because it was affecting the ability of the proconsul to learn the word of God, to learn about Jesus. Yeah. One of the things that hit me was the sorcerer had friends in high places. And because he had friends in high places, for Paul to walk up to him and challenge him like that, he could have gone to friends in high places and had him jailed or a lot of different things. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, immediately, mist and darkness came over him. He groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. What do you think per that persuaded the proconsul? To get that kind of position, he has to be up as far as Roman life is concerned. Chuck. Moving what? The Holy Spirit. So you moving, think moving through Paul, but the Holy Spirit moving through Paul is what convinced the proconsul that Paul had the authority of what he was teaching. Just like when the Holy Spirit worked through Christ. He had the authority because of what he did. Okay, very good. Thank you. Are there false teachers today? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I knew that was coming right after I asked the question. Uh, Grant. The book, uh, I think it's First John, promises. Uh, the Antichrist and that's for all time that there will be false teachers that it's people or demons or otherwise will try to tempt us away from the gospel yeah very good thank you Grant how would you know that they are false prophets or teachers John. Uh, well, a few different ways, by their fruit, and also if you study the word and know what it actually says, 
then when they open their mouths, you can pretty well understand. But we also have to be careful because Satan used scripture too. And he used it incorrectly. Right. So there's always, you can take scripture out of context and you can, you know, have this lie that's wrapped in some truth. So we have to be careful. You can take something out of scripture and almost prove anything. Sue, were you going to say something? Just basically what John, I agree very much with what John was saying. And I was just saying, I think week before last or whatever, we talked about false prophets. Uh, and that, you know, if it doesn't come true, what they say, then you know they're a false prophet. But if it does come true, then they have some validity. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's actually for, I think, a lot in hindsight and looking at what we've seen, you know, uh, throughout history, that um, a lot of them have you believe in them instead of in the, in the word of the Bible. So anytime anybody is relating their self to Christ-like abilities, run the other way. Okay, good, thank you. From Pimaeus, Paul and his companions sailed to Pergma and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Pergma, they went on to Poseidon, Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. So now, they've moved a long way on the first missionary journey. They're way up here. So they've moved a long, long way. After reading from the law and the prophets and the synagogue ruler sent to them saying, brothers, if you have any message of encouragement for the people, please speak. And Paul stands up and he speaks. If you ever wondered what a perfect sermon looks like, sounds like, I think this is the closest example we've got to absolute perfection in a sermon. And as we go, I think you'll see why. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hands, men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With their mighty power, he led them out of that country. What do you notice about the verse? Chuck. It's inclusive. It's very inclusive. This isn't trying to divide up. He's trying to bring together. Anything else that you see? He starts soon. He, he, he makes them feel like, yeah, we're all together. God chose us. He chose our fathers, you know. He, he, he's taking care of us. Uh, you know, this is a, a we thing. Okay, good. Thank you, sis. 
he endured the con their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan. He gave their land to his people their, as their inheritance. All this took place, all this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. What do you see? I'm going to let this side be Jewish and this side be Gentile because you don't have as many as they do. It's pure numbers. Who would that hit? It's a, it's a, a Jewish thing he's talking about. He's talking about what God did for the Jewish people. Now, why would he do that? In 19, he's alluding to one of the promises. And I, I hadn't looked at this recently, whether he's working up to the promise of the Messiah, but he's laying the foundation. Yes. And the Jewish people who have had this are sitting back there saying, preach on, preacher, preach on. These are things that they know, that they've been taught, that, that are important to them. So he's using something to make y'all, who were more numerous, know this is your God. And the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish from the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. And he testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do whatever I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God brought Israel, the Savior, Jesus, just uh, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. What's Paul doing with this part? Sue. So, He's saying, you've been looking for the Messiah all this time. Jesus came. Jesus is the Messiah. Good. Yeah. He's preparing them for when he comes and the proper actions they need to take to be part. Very good. Thank you. Uh, why bring in John the Baptist? John the Baptist had his own set of prophecies, too. There were prophecies of John the Baptist paving the way for the Christ. So it's all, they've been looking for all of that. Yeah, this is where Jesus is getting introduced with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist has a big Jewish following.
As John was completing the work, he said, who do you think I am? I am not that one. But he's coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham and God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that the message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophet that are read every Sunday, Sabbath, sorry. We will tell you the good news. What God promised our Father, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as was written in the second Psalm, you are my son today. I have become your father. So what's he doing? Tied with the previous verses, he's saying that was the Messiah. That's who came. That was the promise. That was the big promise. And then he, in that one scripture, I don't know that's out of Malachi, where he's talking about John the Baptist, where he's not worthy to untie his two shoes. And this one here, he's taken out of Psalms. So you know the Jews are going, oh, that's what that meant. Uh, very good. Thank you, Dad. That fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words, I will give you the holy, sure blessing promised to David. It is elsewhere, it is stated elsewhere, you will not let the Holy One see decay. What do y'all see? Besides, I can't work this. Chuck. I think, A lot of Old Testament scriptures. I think that one Psalms is your holy one. You won't see him decay. Um, but again, we're teaching that class on Sunday morning, so that's kind of why I'm picking him out. But what he's doing is he's, he's really talking to the Jews and that's going to impress the Gentiles. If these Jews convert over to Christianity, and Paul says, it's open to you too, it's going to be a very, very strong opportunity for them to teach God. Very good. Thank you. Anybody on this side? Back there. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. But the one God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you.
This is where he's been headed all along. He has just built up to the point where, let me tell you about Jesus. Earlier, calling it the good news. Yeah, this is good news. This is the good news. Good. Thank you, Sue. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care that the prophets have said, doesn't happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. So what's the message that Jesus is telling? Message Paul is telling about Jesus. That would be better. Okay, this side is Jewish. Do you have a lot in that sermon to get you to the point where you're sitting there going, oh, is that what that meant? Chat. Yes, a lot of interest in that. I mean, it lays out the whole game plan of, of the Messiah coming, the beliefs, the being saved, um, where you're going to end up, the kingdom has been made. Uh, he basically is holding their hand and walking him. So uh, I think it's very important. And the Jewish people over here, where have they been as far as the Gentiles are concerned? They lost, they don't count, God doesn't even like them. <laughs> Thank you, Chad. <laughs> and Paul has just said he cares about everything he created and everyone. He always has. And you see that as he brought all the prophecies forward. And as Paul and Barnabas are leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Is that a positive response to the message? Yep. Yep. Susan, can you? No, okay. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. So now, in one week, they go from hero to villain. 
because of the same message. Why? Chad. I, I think, um, you know, they're so used to uh, praising flesh and um, they don't think it's real if it's not in the flesh. So I think they uh, are disputing it and they have a problem with it because it seems to be, you know, in the flesh is always more believable than in the spirit. Good. Thank you. Grant. It says envy that they were filled with. And they're just jealous that the message is no longer just for them. It's not exclusive the way it used to be. And that's, they're, they're upset at God and God's messengers that it's so different now. That it's not fair. <coughs> yeah. They just lost a big status symbol. These were the holy people. These were the sinners. And now you've put them in one pot. In one group. And God loves them both. Chuck. We also have where the week before it was how well it was attended by the leadership. We don't know. But they got word about it now. And I think this is just like it happened in Jerusalem with Christ. This is the leadership that finally says, okay, we got to stop this. That would be the jealousy part is to say, we were the people who were the most holy that people came to. And now they can go directly to God. <laughs> that leaves us out in the cold. Thank you, Jack. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of God. And all, who were and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. In verse 46 there, Paul says there were some that were eternally lost. You think we should tell people they're eternally lost? John. We should probably be careful how we say it. I think it's probably better to say that we can be found, right? We, we were, were a people that were once far but brought near by the blood of Christ, now justified, right? Saved by grace through faith. He has commenced to do things for us which we could never do for ourselves. And that's something that the law tried to do and probably did for a while, I guess, but now there's a better way and it's for everyone. And it, yeah. Thank you. See? Uh, Paul, Paul words it just a little bit differently too, like John's saying, you have to be careful how you say things, but he says you, you don't think you're worthy of eternal life. So you're rejecting it. 
it, they're rejecting their opportunity for eternal life. This was not Paul's decision, not God's decision. This was these Jewish people's decision. Not all Jews. Yeah. As Christians, we always get the uh, told to us, you, you're not supposed to judge. So I think, like John said, piggyback off of, you got to be careful the way you say it or else they turn it around on you and why are you judging me? Who are you to who are you to tell me I'm not doing it right? So I think you got to be really careful. And like John said, piggyback off that, you got to be careful on how you approach it. I think we have a responsibility to tell someone when they're doing something against God that God has clearly stated that he does want done or he doesn't want done. But the next step to go to say, and if you keep doing it, you're going to hell, is wrong. Who am I to decide whose God's grace is going to go to and who it isn't going to? The only thing, the point you can stop, because you know what the future is going to be like for that person. The only thing you can tell them is to say what you're doing is against God. Or what you're not doing shows that you don't love God. But you can't go that next step. Thank you, Great. Reminds me of Hebrews 6. Um, that those who ignore God and ignore Jesus' sacrifice crucify him again. That, that it's worthless to them. And they, don't, they never pick out specific people. And we're not meant to pick out specific people. But it, there is evidence over and over again that it is possible to fall away. And we can't forget that. That choosing to neglect a new life and, and uh, do, do a, I guess, a weak false repentance is not enough. And so it's, it's important to keep that on our mind that we need to stay true to ourselves and, and follow the gospel the way we know it to be. Thank you, in verse 48, who believed and what reaction do they have? Want me to back up for you? When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who appoint, were appointed for eternal life believed. It's Gentiles. And they were faithful. They honored the word of the Lord. They were faithful. Yes. Very good. So. Yeah, they, just the opposite of these Jewish people that were upset with Paul. These people are choosing to accept the word of the Lord. They're not turning it away. Yeah. They were kind of like uh, the kids standing outside the candy store, could see all the candy, but couldn't have any. Then they got offered, and they were more humble. Yeah. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook off the dust from their feet in protest against them and went on to Iconium 
And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And now he's left and he is, from there, he's gone down here. What's this thing about shaking the dust off your feet? Chuck. Don't worry about what happened here. Just move on to the next place. Very good. Thank you. Chad. I'm just nodding my head at the Chuck. That's <laughs> dangerous when I'm up here. Okay. I'm up there. <laughs> All right. Who in our courage, who tonight showed courage? Sue? I thought Barnabas showed courage. Uh, he was willing to continue to stick with Paul, even though he, you know, he wound up getting ran out of town, out of Jerusalem. Things didn't work out lots of places, you know, but he still stuck with Paul, and he knew his qualities, and he knew what God had planned for him, and he was willing to, to take a chance with him again. Yeah. Uh, I believe everybody showed courage. Um, everybody uh, is willing to follow something that is promised to them. I mean, it's it's not right in front of them. It's it's at this point just verbal, and everybody's willing to follow. So I, I think the Paul to to everybody spreading the words to the Jews, the Gentiles that are all in and believing in, in what's coming, I think everybody has courage in this. Yeah. Well, they kind of, kind of go along with uh, what Shad said is, Paul and Barnabas went in the synagogue to preach of Christ. That was the first place they went. They knew people who were seeking God, that's why they went there, but they knew they were probably gonna run into some stiff resistance. The Jews that decided to turn to Christ because those leadership in the Jewish community would put them out, would basically uh, say, don't have anything to do with these people. Um, so I, I would say those are the people that probably, you know, showed the most courage because of the repercussions. The Gentiles didn't have any repercussions one way or another. Um, Very good. Yeah. And don't forget, everybody's been following one false prophet after another after another. And, you know, here's, here's something that everybody's saying is a guarantee, and everybody's all in. Okay, good, good. So, so what makes this the perfect sermon? It is inclusive. It brings everybody together. It doesn't divide this group from that group or this belief from that belief, he is all-inclusive. He talks about the power of God and the power of God to, to change lives. Christianity is not human effort. We do make an effort, but this is our God who is watching over us. And third, 
when he gets to the end of it, and there are those who don't accept it, he understands that. Uh, I had a friend who said, my number one goal is to preach a sermon that everybody agrees with. And I said, Charlie, how long have you been trying? He says, 60 years. <laughs> uh, even if people don't agree with it, if your goal is unity, to bring up belief, to bring them together and to get them to trust God, there'll still be some who don't like what you say. And you have to have the courage to say it. Y'all did great. Thank you for coming tonight and making the class such a great time. I appreciate that. Those online, I appreciate you tuning in. Next week, we're going to take a, a detour and we're going to look at some of the verses where Paul talks about his suffering and where it happened and why it happened. So come back next week and tune in. Y'all have a nice evening. Thank you.